I entreat Euodia and I entreat Sintaish to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Hi, everybody. I guess you'd have sensed how emotionally charged uh, this section of the letter sounds. It's not unlike Paul. You get to know the writings of this man. You're getting to know someone filled with emotional expression. He's, he's got his heart on his sleeve most of the time. And that may feel different from our context, 21st century kind of slightly more ironic, postmodern, detached. We don't necessarily think it comes across that cool to be so invested. Uh, Paul is, is just openly emotional. And frankly, he's not being untypical of the Bible as a whole. The Bible is a, an emotional book, more than you might have expected. In fact, you, you might have the, the default idea in your imagination of, of Christianity basically being a kind of Victorian stiff upper lip religion where we, we see emotions as that kind of regrettable appendage. You know, we kind of need to manage and regulate our emotions, which are kind of the enemy. Uh, we, 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 we see them as almost sort of a, a, an unhelpful thing, which, which is a bit more like Buddhism, actually, where, where suffering and, and pain are illusory. And, and really, the journey is of, of having to sort of detach from emotional experience. Ancient Stoic philosophies, even contemporary Stoic philosophies, teach the same thing. But Christianity doesn't. True, true life as it's taught in the pages of this book is, is fully at home with emotional expression. Emotion is not bad in the Bible. In fact, emotion is created for good. It's, it's a, an absolutely essential part of who we are. It's right at the center of who we are. It's to be not put to one side and ignored, but to be restored, redeemed, renewed, healed, like the rest of creation, and brought into fruitful usefulness. Emotions that have been healed and restored and redeemed through God's kind work in our lives can in fact be powerfully useful, can be trusted, can be helpful in our journey of obeying God. And so when we come across places like this in Scripture, we're actually coming to a very important part. This isn't just Paul signing off and saying, oh, 
yeah, and also just be happy, you know, just you know, look after yourself and others, you know, just not like a kind of slogan sign-off, uh, like on a, a, a kind of cheap and tacky game show on TV. Paul is, is giving us core material here. This is, for him, absolutely vital content. Rejoice in the Lord and don't be anxious about anything. His concerns for our joy and his concerns for our peace run very close to the center of his concerns about anything. And this is Paul talking to us, the one who, as we learned last week, if you were here, we should emulate, we should follow him as he follows Christ. And so we as followers of Jesus need also to be learning how to understand our emotions and how they are to be ruled and led and how they to be restored and renewed and how they can ultimately be, be brought right into the heart of our learning, following, obeying God. This is an emotional journey that we're called to. And it's meant to be a journey of joy. Happiness, in other words, joy is perhaps a slightly more religious, acceptable word. It essentially means the same thing. True, deep happiness that we are created for and peace. So let's look at these things in that order. That's the kind of sequence that we have here. The first way this comes in is in this, this uh, instruction in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is repeated. He tells us he's going to repeat it. It's pretty emphatic. And even the repetition is a repetition of a repetition because in chapter 3, verse 1, he said the same thing. Finally, he says in chapter 3, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. It's a big theme. It's a mega theme. It's a repeated prevailing theme of this letter. Be happy in the Lord. Be happy because of the Lord. Paul insists upon it. And that can seem actually daunting for some of us at least. Maybe you're one of those who struggles with these verses. We all have different parts of the teaching of the Bible that we react to. Sometimes it, for some of us, we, we, we're surprised at which bits of the Bible other people find difficult, which nerves get touched. Some of us find this teaching hard because actually it's, it's a hard thing to, to even imagine a life lived this way without it seeming like you're just always forcing yourself into a contorted, <laughs> inauthentic, monstrous kind of uh, version of yourself that isn't real, where you're having to twist onto your face a kind of wrinkled smile and pr present a, a fake version of yourself where you're just happy because... Of course I'm happy because I love Jesus. I'm always happy. And it, it, it's to yourself, it's profoundly inauthentic. Never mind what other people think of it. And, and you can receive this teaching as just a sheer imperative, just a command. Thou shalt rejoice. It doesn't tend to work on its own. Or some people would say so. There's pop psychologists out there who say, you, you, know, you just keep trying to smile, keep trying to be happy. You'll be surprised how it works. And maybe there's some truth in that. I'm glad to say the Bible has better news for us <laughs> than that, though. The Bible, in fact, understands the realities of pain, depression, discouragement. It talks about uh, sorrow of heart and, and how hard it is for somebody to be healed from it. In the book of Proverbs, we have verses like that. We also have in, in the book of Proverbs, the wonderful reminder to not be glib when it comes to sorrow and joy and helping people. One of the verses that 
we all need to bear in mind when we're around other people who need to be encouraged is in Proverbs 25, uh, verse 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. Just singing another happy song to a heavy heart is not necessarily what's needed. It can, in fact, be counterproductive. It can seem even callous. It can seem deeply unsympathetic. It can seem like sand in your eyes, or as he says there, vinegar on soda. It, it becomes an oppressive thing. It's not the answer. It's not the answer that we may have needed ourselves. And even the sense that we are called to be joyful when we are struggling <laughs> to enjoy and happiness and heightened emotions can seem just another area of failure in our lives. Some of us have had the experience of living around people who are actually excellent at this. I've had the privilege of living for large parts of my life and spending time for a lot of my life with people who excel at being genuinely happy in God. And one of the sad byproducts of that in my life, which was never their intention, would be for me to be constantly comparing my, my <laughs> relative inability to keep up with their levels of joy and allowing that to become a stick that, that I get beaten with. And, and you may have had similar experiences, and it means that this kind of teaching, we need to handle it wisely. We need to learn what it's really saying positively rather than allow it to become just another cruel bit of legalism. That's certainly not what is intended. There is magnificent hope intended for us here. And the Apostle Paul, who writes it from prison, who writes it from a dungeon, and the Apostle Paul, who I told you, he was emotional. He wasn't just, he wasn't just a cheap, Disney-fied, happy-go-lucky chappy. He, Paul knew what it was like to be cast down into sorrows, knew what it was like to, as he says in 2 Corinthians, to despair of life itself. I think the Apostle Paul, as much as most people that we've ever met, would have run the full gamut of human emotions. He knew a great deal of range in his experience of feelings. And he's writing from a dungeon, expecting execution. So let's not categorize this as whimsy. Let's not categorize this as Christian bookshop laminated bookmark material. Let's understand this is, this is great wealth. This is spiritual wealth. This is, this is a powder keg of truth that we can, we can open up if we allow ourselves to and, and live fully in the good of. Paul wants to provide us. He wants to provide us with, with railings, with, 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 with rope, with help, with, with a way. As always, what Paul wants us to do actually is not just to try harder to swim and stay afloat by coping, but rather just to put our feet down on what we have. It reminds me of a scene from one of the Robin Hood films. There have been many over the years, and uh, there's one back in the 90s where Robin Hood is, is fighting Little John with the quarterstaffs, and they both fall in this river uh, off the bridge. And Little John, who's huge, uh, he thinks he's going to drown. He can't swim. I can't swim. And uh, Robin Hood holds him and says, put your feet down. 
and this giant puts his feet down and the water comes up to sort of his waist. And Paul is doing that all the time in his letters. He just, it's, he's always telling us, just stop, put your feet down. Rem put your feet down. Remember, remember <laughs> who he is. Do you, have you forgotten what he's done? How can you, how can you not remember what he's done for you? How can you forget who you are now? This is Paul's way. This is how he trains us. He tells us to actually don't, it's not about trying desperately to lather up the water through frantic, panicky, excessive expenditure of energy in the attempt to try and stay alive and afloat. But in fact, to simply stand and put your feet down on the truth that's given you to stand in the good of it and to find emotional health in the process, to find the basis for joy. Paul's training us to stand. And it is a training exercise. It is something you and I have to learn. I have to learn. Some of us maybe take a while longer than others. I've had five children. Teaching them to ride a bike has been a very fascinating experience. All of them are different, the way they learn the time it takes them. We have different kinds of challenges we bring to the table as children of God, different things that take us surprising amounts of time to learn. I love the fact that in verse 11 of this chapter, even Paul himself says, I have learned how to be content. He says, I've learned in whatever situation I am. I love the fact that Paul had to say, I've learned, I've learned in whatever situation how to be content. He didn't necessarily flick a switch. It took him some time, maybe. And it comforts me to know that, that the great apostle, like us, had to learn, had to journey in his ability to, to take the wonder of all that he was seeing and to turn it into usefulness in his emotional weakness and frailty and limitations, to find strength, to find the contentment that was always there in Jesus. It was always there for as long as he knew Jesus, as long as Jesus is true to him. And he always is. He can never lie. Paul needn't have panicked. He needn't have ever, ever showed desperate anxiety. He just needed to put his feet down. The, the seabed was always there or the, the riverbed. It was always there. But he hadn't learned to put his feet down in it. And you and I, that's what we must learn. To learn to... Trust that the riverbed of Christ is steady, is, is able to hold us and keep us. We must taste and see that the Lord is good. You can know that he's good because you've, I read it somewhere, it says that he's good. <laughs> I, I, they sing it in the, in the songs. He's good, he's good. I, I think he's supposed to be good. Or you can taste and see. The invitation to us and Paul's invitation is, is taste and see. Be happy because of the Lord. Emotionally receive the wonder of his joy. Taste and see. He prays for the believers in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1 that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. We need to see. We don't in ourselves have trained eyes. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to open eyes that would otherwise not see the wonder of what we have in Jesus, who is joy. But we can blindly persist as if he weren't given to us. 
when he has been given us. And because he has been given us, this becomes a central teaching. This becomes absolutely primary in what it means to know God and follow Christ. It's not negligible. Like I said, Paul's not saying, P.S., be happy. <laughs> it's, it's not like that. He, he's giving us an instruction. It's a command. Rejoice again. I repeat it. Several different places. I will keep saying it. Why, why is it so, why is it such an insisted upon instruction? Why is it a command? I can think of at least two reasons that flow pretty simply. One of, one of them is we need it. We don't realize how desperately we need this. You actually can't do life without the joy of the Lord. You can't. Try it or don't try it if I were you. I wouldn't try it for a day. You need the joy of the Lord because the Bible says so. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. There you go. That's it, right? That's all you need to know. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It is your strength. You don't have another strength. You, you must have the joy of the Lord. When David got himself into terrible sin with, with someone else's wife and murdered the husband to cover his own back, when he made the most horrendous decisions he ever made in his life and had to be confronted by the prophet Nathan and, and fell to bits realizing he'd done something so wicked, in his prayer of repentance, which we have in the Bible, in Psalm 51, we have David praying and confessing his sins to God. One of the verses is very telling. He says, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Restore joy to me. Please restore to me the joy that I knew from being saved, from being rescued, loved, cared for by the living God. I used to be such a joyful, happy man. Look what happened to me as I drifted into lust and, and self-protection and, and defense of my, my honor and vainglory and, and ruthlessness and cruelty. Look, look, look at the ugly horror of sorrow and depression and, and, and hatred and self-loathing that I kind of shriveled up into as I, as I lost the joy of my salvation. I remember talking to someone years ago who nearly threw away his whole marriage and life by falling into the same sort of sin. And I said to him, why did you do it? And he said, discouragement is dangerous. You know, joy is necessary. It's not, it's not negligible. It's not an added extra. It's not, it's not an alternative. You could try joy. You don't have to have joy. You do. You must. You won't actually serve God without it. Not really. Not really. You could try and be a hero, <laughs> just serve God in just the pain and the agony and the anguish forever and ever. And just, I know there are seasons that can feel like that. Goodness knows there are seasons that can feel like that. But friends, it's, it's not meant to be where we live. It's not healthy to stay in that. And, and we need to know joy in order to suffer. You might say, well, well, I thought we went to suffer for Jesus. I thought we to take up our cross. Yes, the way he did it. 
Hebrews chapter 12. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus went gladly to bear our burdens. Jesus gladly took up our shame and our guilt and our sorrows on his back. He did it gladly for us. He suffered. He suffered more than we would ever, ever begin to understand. But he did it for the joy set before him. He was driven by great joy, joy that we would never understand. And we're called to the same life. The fact is, friends, all of the great steps of trust and obedience towards God have joy baked in at the essence. I think of the fact that we even have the Bible in English. Why do we have the Bible in English? Do you know that there was a time when it was punishable by death to have the Bible in English in this very country, in these very places? Not so long ago. We're talking about the sort of 1530s. That might seem a long time ago, but it's nowhere near as long ago as when it was written. In this country, if you had the Bible in English, you're in trouble. And there was a man called William Tyndale who gave his life, lived as a, as a fugitive overseas, suffered terribly just to get the Bible so that you could read it. Just so you could read this, this rebellious book, this dangerous revolutionary book, which was banned and not allowed and burned and destroyed if it was found. Only they also burned and destroyed the men who tried to translate it. Tyndale was burned at the stake. It's an extraordinary story and it sounds morbid and sad. When you hear it like that, it sounds ever so solemn and serious, doesn't it? But what you need to know is that Tyndale was famous for joy. Tyndale was happy. Tyndale couldn't get over how happy he was. Tyndale was marked by happiness. In fact, let me give you a quick quotation. I'm, I'm just selecting a few words from the great William Tyndale. What we call the gospel signifieth good, merry, glad, and joyful tidings that maketh a man's heart glad and maketh him sing, dance, and leap for joy which tidings as many as believe, Lord, praise and thank God, are glad, sing and dance for joy. How can the, the wretched man that knoweth himself to be wrapped up in sin and in danger to death and hell hear no more joyous a thing than such glad and comfortable tidings of Christ so that he cannot but be glad and laugh from the low bottom of his heart if he believe that the tidings are true. <laughs> I know the English there is a little bit archaic and impenetrable but you hopefully get the essence of it he's saying how can you believe what this book teaches and not be overwhelmed with happiness that the person that is most in desperate need the person who's most aware of their guilt and shame and disqualification before a holy God can have all of their guilt and shame swallowed up because of the incredible kindness of God who gave us himself in his son upon the cross, who took our shame and guilt away so that we could walk free in great liberty and happiness, so that we could dance and sing for joy. That's Tyndale. This man was happy and he wanted everyone else to be happy. He so wanted us to be happy in what this book teaches that he was prepared to suffer. And they strangled him before they burned his body at the wooden stake because he knew, he knew something that was so powerful. They might destroy my body, 
But this, this stuff lasts forever. It's extraordinary. It's such a happy story, and it's true. He lived in the good of it. He still does, ultimately. And so does anybody who's learned the wonder of what Jesus really has done. So we're, we're not invited into rejoicing and being happy in the Lord simply because, well, you really ought to. You know, turn up well on parade. Smile, big smile, please. Don't care how you're feeling. No, 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 no. It's not like that. It's not pretense. <laughs> it's not inauthentic cosmetic happiness like a supermodel trying to look happy when she hasn't eaten a proper meal for eight or nine days. This is about from the belly, something that Jesus wants for you, for you to know profoundly this wonder of what he has achieved for you. You know, this, is, this is key, that, that we see that it's necessary for us. We also need to see it reflects the God we worship himself, God himself. As Paul says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, and chapter 6, verse 15, the blessed God, which, again, religious Victorian translations, forgive them, it's just as well translated the happy God, the truly happy God. That's how Paul describes him in 1 Timothy, twice, the happy God. You read the whole Bible, you see that's pretty consistent. We're talking about the God who laughs, who rejoices, who dances with joy over his people, who celebrates before the angels when one sinner repents, who runs to the prodigal son when he sees him in the distance. This is a happy, joyful, good-natured God. <laughs> and so when Jesus came amongst us as God in the flesh, God in skin, walking amongst fallen, broken, sad, shriveled up men. Jesus said to us, my joy I give to you. My joy I give to you. Do you understand what that's, that's suggesting? The joy that is the inner experience of, of God, the Father, Son and Spirit. He's sharing it with you. He comes so that we can be brought in to his joy. And it really is joy. If we see Jesus as basically a creepy cult leader, then we don't want his joy. But there was never a man more joyful. And there never will be. He, he's the epitome of it. And he comes saying, I, share, I came so that you might share in it. I want you to know it in yourself, to experience it. But he doesn't just want us to know joy. Peace is what Paul is also inviting us into. He says, he says, let your forbearance be known to everybody and then let your request be known to God. I find that an interesting parallel because Paul is teaching us how to handle anxiety. The person that's being changed, being transformed, being overwhelmed by the wonder of what God has done in Christ, the person that's learning to live in the good, that's putting their feet down and staying steady in the goodness of the grace of God, that is learning the secret of contentment and rejoicing in the Lord, being happy because of the Lord. That person will also be the one learning to show forbearance to everybody. Or as some translations have it here, let your reasonableness be known to everybody. Your reasonableness. It could be translated forbearance. The idea of gracious, patient, compassionate care for others. 
How can we possibly do that in a world of so much pressure and stress? Ultimately, it has to be through the parallel. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your requests be made known to God. That's a clue. Let your reasonableness, let your forbearance, your patience, your graciousness be known to everyone. Let your requests be known to God. You take those to God. You learn to bring the burdens, casting your cares and burdens on him because he cares for you, as Peter says in his letter. And, and practically, Paul gives us further wisdom about how to do this because some of us, we might think, well, I've tried to do that. I, I, I've been living, tr I try to pray. Yeah, I, I feel stressed. I feel anxious. I feel, I feel worried. I feel depressed. I try to pray. I can't even think straight when I try to pray. I try so hard to bring these issues to God and pour out my soul, but it doesn't seem to get me. I just, it just, I get dig deeper. Well, Paul gives us some wisdom even there. He helps us by throwing in a helpful caveat. He gives us a list of the different kinds of prayer. When he says, uh, do, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. But listen, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. With thanksgiving. It's important. Because our praying in the context of thanksgiving is enough to lift our whole perspective. Things assume the, the right proportion when we just begin to thank him. And this is much more powerful and dynamic than we might realize. It is. It's ultimately got more power to transform our situation than any other factor. Anything else, medical, psychoanalytic, anything that we might try. We might try many things. But ultimately, friends, ultimately for children of God, we have the privilege of, of something so wondrously, so wondrously powerful, capable of changing the situation, is to come to him with thanksgiving. Paul says it. And the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Remember first hearing someone talking about this years when I was a very young man. I guess I was before I was twenty. I was travelling back from uh, Kenya to England, and my plane stopped in Rome, and uh, they didn't have me on the, the connecting flight. My, for some, they, they they gave my seat to someone else. I was panicking. Am I going to get back to England? I'm too young to really know what to do panicking about the situation and someone a few days earlier in Kenya had been teaching from these very verses and said you you bring your request to God but do it with thanksgiving and you know what it's like I guess as a as a young man or young woman to sort of be thrown into a situation you know in a different country don't know the language don't know the city don't have any money I don't know how I'm going to get back to my home country I could be stuck here what's going on and I found myself reminded of these verses. I thought, I'm going to go pray. And I locked myself into the gents at the, in the airport in Rome, and I just prayed. But I started the way that I was trained to by the, the teaching in Kenya just days before with thanksgiving. And I just started to thank God. I just remembered all the things he'd done, all the blessings. I started to, just to dwell on his kindness to me, his grace to me, his love for me. I started to dwell even on what Paul says here. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. <laughs> the Lord is near. Just to reflect on that, isn't it a wonder? The Lord is near. Do you know that? He's near to you. I mean, maybe that 
scares you. And it probably should at first. It should. It it wouldn't be comforting on its own because when I read this book, it's pretty frightening. When the Lord is near, often it's bad news because we don't belong with God in our sin, in our failure, in 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 our selfishness, lust, greed, pride, all of the things that we bring to the table, theft, pornography, hatred, jealousy, the things that we know we carry. How can I be near to God? thought that the Lord is near would be horrifying. And it is for some in this book who get too near. And they're destroyed because they're not ready. But God has drawn near to us in such an extraordinary way. God has made a way for us to be near to him through his son on the cross so that we can be near because of our disqualifications, all our filth, all of our greed and guilt and sin, all of that, it was taken away. It was done. It was dealt with forever. It was gone. It's gone forever. It's gone. So you can have it as a glad tidings, as William Tyndale would say, enough to make you sing and dance and shout for joy. He's near. (laughs) He's near to you. Do you know that he's near to you? Do you know that he sees you? If you're scared of these verses even, you think, oh, I can't rejoice. Life's just been too hard. I can't be at peace. I'm too anxious. Wow, I understand. (laughs) I do understand. Do you know that he sees you? Do you know that he's near to you? Do you know that the Bible says he's near to the brokenhearted? Do you understand what he's like? Perhaps he's nothing like you thought. This kind, good-hearted God. He's drawn near graciously he's friendly minded and and this this is so that we're able to find peace i remember being in that airport and just feeling such peace <laughs> it was a training for me i've over the years i've gone back in my mind to that exercise i've learned since then in different stages of life just to pray cry to him call on him and begin to rest again being able to Breathe in again, the peace of God. Sometimes literally get back to sleep. Sometimes, sometimes to just get into a different, a different kind of frame of mind. I'm still learning. I'm still learning. But this is, this is the thing to learn. This is, this is our option. He is the riverbed. He's where we put our feet down. He's our hope. The Lord is near. The God of peace is near. The God of peace be with you. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for this letter, for this exemplary apostle. We're grateful for the the saviour, the the hero, the Messiah that he unfolds to us in its pages. We thank you for all that we have in your son. We could barely begin to map it out. The wonder of it is so vast. We confess we still live relatively mediocre Christian lives, nibbling at the edges of our inheritance. So teach us to learn to rejoice, free from anxiety, as you want us to, to put our feet down, to stand strong. Help us in this, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as a closing section of this video, I wanted to introduce you to a Another short video, there's a hymn writer who put the themes of this sermon and this book of Philippians 
into a hymn. Charles Wesley was the hymn writer. And some of our friends in the church have taken in turns the lines of this hymn to present it in a video which communicates the, the power of this message. Let's watch it together. Thou hidden source of calm repose. Thou all-sufficient love divine. My help and refuge from my foes. Secure I am while thou art mine. And low from sin and grief and shame. Hide me, Jesus, in thy name. Thy mighty name salvation is and keeps my happy soul above. Comfort it brings, and power, and peace, and joy, and everlasting love. To me, with thy great name, are given pardon, holiness, and heaven. Jesus, my all in all thou art, my rest in toil, my ease in pain, the healing of my broken heart. In war, my peace, in loss, my gain, my smile beneath the tyrant's frown. In shame, my glory, and my crown. In want, my plentiful supply. In weakness, my almighty power. In bonds, my perfect liberty. My light is Satan's darkest hour. In grief, my joy unspeakable. My life in death, my all in all. Amen. <laughs>